Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we're welcoming the incredible Hollywood Yates here. Uh, you may recognize Hollywood uh, as Wolf from American Gladiators, his very notable uh, singing career. He's an actor, stuntman, uh, dancer, a prize champion bullfighter, uh, works in the rodeo. He is the the perfect guest for Spirit Talk because he his whole life and career encompasses everything about the show. And so it's uh, great to have you on here, Hollywood. Thanks, man. I appreciate you reaching out to me. i um, been looking forward to doing this. And I, I, before we get into like the minutia, the specific aspects of your life, which is mind blowing, one of the central themes I wanted to talk about today is this idea that you have this passion for everything you do, whether it's the singing, the rodeo, the acting, the the fitness stuff with American Gladiators, all this stuff. Is at what point in your life did you finally realize that hey, if I have a passion, how do I? push this passion and just accomplish as much as I can in my life because you are very passionate. Um, you know, I, th I think I was just kind of born with it. Um, I've, I've been very fortunate that, uh, you know, I had a, a mother that was just amazing at pushing me and, and allowing me to, you know, just kind of find my way through life. And, and if I had a passion for something, then she was 100% in and, you know, followed me and backed me on that and helped me. All except rodeo, you know, rodeo, uh, when she found out that I was doing it, I busted a tooth and, you know, she was not really happy with my choice in rodeo. Um, but over time, she's, you know, come to see that I'm very good at what I do and, and have, you know, made a, made a great career out of it. But, um, you know, it, it really, I mean, it probably started at seven. Um, Elvis Presley had passed away. And I sat there and watched everything about that man on TV that day. And I listened to the radio and I was, I was so amazed at how uh, one man could affect, you know, basically the entire world. Um, and I knew that there would probably never be another man like that. But I was like, man, if there is, I want to be that guy. And uh, so, I, I mean, at seven years old, I became an Elvis impersonator and uh, was singing at my grandfather's nightclubs and at, you know, school talent shows. And, and I just, I loved it. And I loved the reaction of the crowd, you know, to what I was doing. And so I think, you know, probably at seven years old, I, I realized that entertaining and, and being able to, you know, change people's perspective, at least for at least, you know, a little bit of time, you know, they might be having the worst day in the world, but for that moment, that you can really capture and grab them and, and, you know, get their attention, you know, you might make their life really good for a few moments. And, you know, if you string enough of those moments along, you know, then it, it's changing the world. When the, the shutdown happened, I don't like talking about, it. I want to move on with my lives. I know right. most people do, but I, I, I'm in the security world. So I'm out here with bands and stuff, doing these shows and seeing people react to music again, whether it's laughing with their friends, having a beer, crying to a certain song, the idea that that the type of the music or the theater or the events, even the rodeo stuff right. being taken away for those years. I don't think scientists, these doctors really understand the how cathartic and healing these type of events are you speak of. And if you could kind of touch upon 
like when this, when you go through these last couple of years, are you still kind of like, man, like I need to get out there and people need to hear me sing or I can make someone laugh or I gotta like, how do you, how do you comprehend that whole thing? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I you know, entertainment is basically all I've ever done. I mean, I've had a little odd jobs here and there, you know, my whole life, but not really. I mean, I've, I've been a professional entertainer since seven years old. Um, and I've seen what it can do for people. And I've, I've talked to people that, you know, come up to you after a show and they're like, Oh my God, that song you sang, I can relate to so much. And it just, it made me cry. And I'm like, I'm sorry, it made you cry. You know? And they're like, no, it was a good cry. You know, it, it took me back to when I was a child or, you know, and so I've always known that, you know, music and, and even acting, you know, I mean, shoot, I'm, I'm probably one of the, you know, toughest guys on earth, but I'm also probably one of the softest marshmallows on earth too. Like I will cry at the drop of a hat on something that, you know, like when I see what, what really gets me crying um, is when I see other people realizing their dreams or you know seeing something really good happen in somebody else's life it it just brings tears to my eyes um and when the world shut down for two years i knew that was going to be a big problem um you know for a lot of people uh so one i didn't shut down i just kept going i found places you know that basically told the government screw you we're gonna you know keep going because we have that right um, and I don't even look at it as we have that right because of the constitution or anything. I have the right to do whatever I want because, you know, God put me on earth. You know, I'm not going to go into all that because I know people have their different beliefs, but I am here for a reason. I'm here to entertain people, to help people, you know, find happiness for a few moments in their life. Um, and I did, I toured, you know, the whole time I went to Sturgis, I went to, you know, events that didn't shut down. Um, but I did, I did lose a lot of gigs. I lost about 90 gigs that first year. Um, and what I did instead was TikTok. I had had people for a year before telling me, oh, you need to do TikTok. You need to do, and I'm like, I don't want to do another social media thing. I'm like, I'm, I've already don't like doing social media because it just, you know, I would rather just be in front of somebody live. Well, when you, when all my shows are getting shut down and, and, you know, I'm still touring where I can, but it's like, it took a big chunk out. I started doing these TikTok videos and I mean, it took off. And so for a year there, you know, I had a hundred and, I mean, I've still got 150,000 followers. I could probably have more, but I don't, I don't do TikTok every day the way I did when I was kind of stuck, right. you know, being at home. So, um, but that was my way of reaching out to the world and still entertaining was doing a TikTok. And I did everything on TikTok. I did, you know, jokes. I did, you know, just some of the voiceover stuff. I did a lot with my clown makeup on. I would pick up the guitar and, you know, just sing some old songs. And so, you know, there's, there's several ways to go about bringing it to the people. Right. You mentioned growing up in these clubs, your grandfather owned and stuff like that, that part of your life at that young age, I mean, you see a lot of, business feelings whether they're good or shady or you grow up in an atmosphere like that does that kind of help you understand as you get older like how this stuff works whether it comes to promoters or deals and stuff like that absolutely and i and i know you see it you know because you work with a lot of these bands you know doing security and there are some amazing amazing people in the entertainment industry that you know are some of my dearest friends that i would you know take a bullet for and i know you would too 
Um, and then, yeah, there are some shady ass people in this business that, you know, I would give a bullet to, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I know there was a guy I've known for years. He was a bar owner and he's one of those bar owners that he only owns a bar to party and, you know, be the big dude. And, uh, I finally, you know, played his bar one night and I got my check. I handed it to my wife because I had to fly out the next morning to go do a USO tour overseas. And I said, here, you know, put that in the bank. I'm going overseas. I'll be back in a few weeks. I came back and my account was a lot less than it was supposed to be. And that check had bounced. And so I'm calling the owner of this bar and I'm calling and I'm calling and no response. And, and I finally was like, okay, I know what his busiest night is when he'll have a lot of cash on hand. And I went into his bar. I walked up to the main bar and I grabbed a shot down that. And, uh, as, as I'm walking off the bartender's like, Hey, you owe me. And I go, and I'll put that on the house. And I walked into the manager's office and I sat down and he was like really surprised. And, and he, and he's like, Hey, what's going on? And I go, well, that check bounced. And he's like, well, I'll call. And I go, you know what? We don't need to even call him. I said, I've already tried to call him five, six times over the last two weeks. I said, uh, you have a safe right behind you. Open it. And he opened it and he hands me $400 cash. And I'm like, well, that's a good start. And I put that in my pocket and I grabbed him and I walked him around to every bar in the club and made him pull money out of the tills. And, the, and so by the end of this, I, I walked out and my pocket is so full, you know, it's, it's like I can't even slip any more money into that pocket. And the last bar we went to is the main bar and I go, darling, I'll have a, uh, another shot and a beer. And she puts it up there and she goes, that'll be. And I go on him and I drank those and then walked out. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, of course the owner calls, you know, calls me and is like, Hey man, you came in and robbed me. And I go, no, I came in and I got what you owed me because you wouldn't call me back. I go, but if you want to involve the cops, feel free to call them. Yeah, and sure. of course he didn't because you know but yeah there's some shady people and and i have not talked to that bar owner in 20 years now when it comes to before you walk the stage or before you get the a bull rig or the rodeo or you before you become wolf on tv is there when you become these certain characters is it do you have the same process for each person you kind of step into that role or is it the same type of preparation in terms of getting ready to do what you do um yes and no you know um i mean to get ready for a concert you know it's more just warming up my vocals going over my set list uh figuring out you know okay this is what i'm doing and i think a lot of it you know has to do with once i start putting the clothes on and i start putting the rings on and you know it's like it's a it's just kind of the process of this is me getting ready for this show uh with wolf um when i was doing gladiators uh and i am a i'm a character actor um uh, uh, or a uh uh, shoot, I forget the term, method. I'm yes. a method actor. And uh, so as I would be driving to the deal, you know, it's like I would just listen to some harder, edgier music. Um, and then, or if, you know, a lot of times they were driving me, um, but I would just put my earphones in and just listen to some kind of harder, edgier music. And then the second I got into the parking lot, 
I was wolf, you know, I would, it's like, it's like, I would have a smile on my face. I'd close the door and the smile was gone. You know, it was like, doom. and I would walk in. And if I saw a contestant anywhere, I would start yelling. I would start throwing stuff and, t- you know, telling them, you know, get them out of my sight. I don't want to smell them. I don't, you know, like I just, you know, like I just became a dick <laughs> and, um, and it, it worked because I had dinner with uh, two of the contestants about, I think it was a year, maybe two years after um, I was doing another television show where I was teaching a guy to be a rodeo clown and he was out of shape. And so I was going to send him to uh, Allie Davidson, who had won the second season and she started Camp Gladiator. And so I went to dinner with her and her husband Well, her husband was on the show as well. Um, And as we're eating, uh, she told me, she goes, yeah, she goes, uh, everybody was terrified of you. She goes, like, everybody legitimately was scared of you. And she goes, even my husband. And I looked over at him. He goes, dude, he goes, we all thought you were crazy. He goes, we thought you were nuts. He goes, like, we knew the others were there just playing games and, you know, having fun. He goes, but like, everybody thought this guy's going to snap and kill somebody, you know? And I was like, well, good. I go, then what I did worked, you know, because I know that in sports, it's, it's easier to win a game if you've already beat them before they get on the court or on the field or, you know, with rodeo, if you're already so worried about the bull that you're drawing, well, you're not going to do good. You know, it's like, you're, you're already beat the bulls beat you, you know? And so I just, that's what I did. I walked in, you know, to the venue yelling and screaming and just being the biggest asshole that I could be. And that way, all the contestants were already scared of me. They thought, God, this guy's just, he's a, he's a lunatic. He's going to kill somebody. He's, you know, and I, and I was like, I wasn't worried about hurting. So, you know, I, I was like, Hey, if I, you know, the producer came up to me one day and he, he's like, man, you need to calm down. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't need to do nothing except do my job. I said, look, if I break their leg, I go, they have a great story for the rest of their life. I go, look, I fight bulls for a living. I said, I've had over 140 broken bones, three knee surgeries, a torn Achilles. I've been gored, had a bull run a horn nine inch. I go, I'm not going to do that kind of damage to these guys. I said, I might break a leg or an arm. I said, and if so, they have a great story for the rest of their life that they get to tell their friends at every cocktail party. You know? I, uh, we had Darren McBee on the show and I'm a huge fan of American Gladiators and it's similar situation. I, I asked him, I mean, how did you create this character of Malibu? Because it seemed talking to him as a person, like you're a different character. And so I guess when I saw you, I was just, I was just blown away when I saw Wolf the first time. I'm like, this is the first time I'm seeing another American gladiator that is larger than life. Like everyone's obviously muscular and oiled right. up. They're naked. They're super athletic, but yeah. your trademark looks and the chops and the hair, like how much of that was, Hey, we're going to, you're hired to be Wolf. Make this character your own. Um, it, it, I made that character. I, you know, they didn't want to name me Wolf. Like at first, <laughs> when we were first training, they wanted to, you know, they, because I was a cowboy and everything, they wanted to kind of stick with that whole cowboy thing. So they, they actually wanted to call me cowboy at first. And I'm like, well, that's not a gladiator name. I'm like, that's just stupid. Right. And then, you know, then they come, uh, Nitro had trained us 
And so Nitro came up with, you know, Bronco, you know, let's call him Bronco. And they're like, yeah, we're going to call him Bronco. And I'm like, Bronco. I'm like, that's gay porn. I'm like, no, I'm not going to be Bronco. And I, so then I saw where they were trying to go with this. So I was like, just call me Maverick, you know? And they're like, Maverick, you mean like Top Gun? And I'm like, no, you idiots. I'm like, Maverick, like, you know, James Garner, like, you know, the old, I go, Maverick, I go, the gentleman in Texas who didn't brand his cattle was John Maverick, I said, and he was an outlaw because he wouldn't brand his cattle. I go, you know, Maverick comes from the rodeo, from, you know, Western heritage. I said, so call me Maverick, you know, and they're like, no, it's too confusing. We're going to call you Bronco. And I'm like, no, I, go, I'm, I don't like Bronco. And so then they, you know, they finally come to me and they're like, we're going to call you Chopper. And we're going to have you come in on a Harley. And I'm like, you're going to have me ride in on a Harley in spandex. Really? I'm like, I go, whatever. And at this point, I was the only one that didn't have a contract. And I'm like, look, call me Sue, put me in a dress. I don't care. Just give me a contract. So I know that I have a job. So I know I'm getting paid. I go, whatever. Well, I went home for three days. Uh, we had already been there a month, uh, just training. And so then they sent us home over Thanksgiving and I got home and I had a, uh, a, uh, picture of my old dog. She was a half Malamute, half wolf mix. And her name was Taz. And I was like, Taz. And I'm like, well, now, you know, Taz Manian devil and Taz from uh, ECW. I'm like, and WWE, I'm like, I can't go with Taz. And then I kept looking at her and I go, wolf i was like wolf would be cool and so i went back and i go all right i got a name and they're like well we got a new name for you and i'm like oh my god what's this one gonna be and i'm like all right what's yours and they're like wolf and i go done and they wow. go well, what was yours and i go wolf and they go well how'd you come up with it and i told them and i go how'd you come up with one and they go well we we're watching your training tapes and you're like this you know just rabid wolverine but we can't use Wolverine, you know, because of Marvel and everything. And I, and I go, so we were like rabid wolf. Yeah. Wolf. And I go, yeah. You know, it, it was funny. I heard a story. Um, there's a guy, there's an actor in LA that's had some, you know, good, good jobs, fame and, you know, and a little bit of fame. And he was talking to a girl at a bar one night and he told, and it was a friend of mine and he told her, he goes, yeah, they wanted me for that character wolf, but I was too busy. And it's like, they didn't want you for, I made Wolf up, like, you know, like, you know, he, he had long hair and everything. We looked similar, but it was just like, dude, it was like, I came up with that character and like everything about that character I came up with, because as soon as I thought of Wolf, I thought of, okay, how would a wolf act? How, would, you know, so like when they first night, when I came running into the gauntlet, I just started pacing back and forth, you know, cause it was this gauntlet and then it had sides you know that was like a cage and so you know i just started pacing back and forth like if i was a wolf that had gotten trapped and you know so it just kind of went from there i've always I've, I've been blown away like i've when you i've read uh dan nitro's book uh but i've seen i know espn's do the documentary coming out with american gladiators and all that and i'm just blown away like part of my childhood was watching all the reruns and then as i got older i got to watch your uh uh, your version uh, with Michael Hearn and all those guys yeah. and Joy, and I'm just blown away that it's it, not to sound corny, but it's just so cool to like as a child see it, and then as I get older to really appreciate. Like it's funny to see when people get knocked off the perch and the trash talking, but right. the injuries and 
the injuries, not only injuries you guys have sustained and what you do for the, the, the roar of the crowd, but the impact that your, your involvement in the show has had on people that have these memories and these, it's just, it's a, it's a reflection of the good times when I think we could all sit back on a Sunday night at 8 PM and watch this as opposed yeah. to what you do now. And it's just like, everything is just theater, but the wrong kind. Right. Well, and, that, and that's the thing, you know, I, uh, I was very fortunate to between first and second season and after second season, I still did a lot of appearances as Wolf. Um, but I would go to these, you know, World of Wheels car shows, myself and Venom, and we would sign autographs for four hours and get to meet the public. And, and so many of these, you know, fathers and mothers were coming up to us and they were like, oh my God, this was my favorite show as a kid. And, you know, now sitting on the couch with my child, you know, watching this, it, it you know, it, it takes them back to their childhood, but they're getting to share it with their new you know their child so it's like it you know and it's like every 10 15 years you know it's like because they're talking about bringing it back again now and so it'll be a whole new generation and you know that generation will you know be sharing it with their kids and so it's just it's been a really cool thing and they and to hear these stories of people and and how it's you know brought their family you know not not like their family was you know right horrible and separated and we brought them back together but but the, the family would sit and watch it together like I did you know with my mom and you know yeah. stepdad and everything it's like it's really cool to just you know hear that from other people I, I want to transition into your singing career and I've, I've I've read before where you have this deep admiration towards the outlaw country the Merle Haggards the Johnny Cash the Chris Christopherson's yeah this that that version of country that was they're, they're poets, right? And how important is it for you to not only etch your own type of your your career in the in the music world, but to kind of give homage to that those musicians and uh, singers and bands that really paved the way for you? Well, you know, I mean, that's that's the thing that I love about good country music is it was stories, and like you said, they they were poets. You know, they they were so clever in their writing and, and, you know, like I always talk to people and I tell them about, you know, the song mama tried, um, you know, Merle writes, there, there's a lyric in there where he says, um, I reached into another glove. I reached into the glove box, another liquor store went down. And it's like, he never said the word gun. Right. He never, you know, he never said I went and shot somebody. He never like it, it wasn't. It was just as soon as he said I reached into the glove box, another liquor store went down. You knew what he meant. He he was broke. He was needing to make some money. And he reached, he grabbed his gun and he went in and he robbed a liquor store. You know, it's like it was just such clever writing. And they told stories and it wasn't just about, you know, what's going to do with all that ass, you know, like, you know, it's, and I mean, not to say there's anything wrong with, you know, music is great. All music is great. Like there's, you know, the new country, man, I'll tap my foot to it. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll sit there. I mean, it's, it's good. You know, there's some that I, I'm like going, you know, great courses, but why this, you know, great beat but why you know what it's like you know but the the outlaws you know one they told great stories two they were being told not to do the music the way they were doing it and that's why they were called the outlaws because they were like hey this is who i am this is what i'm going to do and if you don't like it i'll find my own niche 
and they did. And not only did they find their own niche, but they built into these huge mega stars, you know, that are still talked about today, that are still mentioned in new songwriters, write songs and mention, you know, those guys, they're iconic. And so I want to, I want to go along those lines. I want to do things my way. You know, I, I will, I want to mix, you know, Merle Haggard with Aerosmith, you know, it's like, because I'm a rocker, I'm a blues guy. You know, I, I grew up on Elvis. I grew up wanting to be Elvis, you know? And so a couple of years ago, I went out to Nashville for, you know, three, four weeks and just went to bars that I've never been to. I went to the outskirt bars and, you know, just different places to hear different songwriters and, and kind of find my, you know, who I am as a songwriter and as a singer and as an artist. And, and I noticed that the stuff that I liked most was more blues based. Uh, You know, Randy Hauser is a great singer songwriter and he's a friend of mine and, and uh, he is very blues based and, um, you know, so I, I realized I'm like, I'm, I'm more of a rocker blues, but I love the stories of the, the old school country guys like Merle and Waylon. And, and I'm like, so I need to figure out how to, how to mash all that together. And that'll be, you know, that'll be my sound, you know, not that I'm trying to make a different sound. I just want to be true to who I am as an artist. And so I'm constantly, you know, trying to get better at guitar. I'm trying to write new songs and, you know, and I work with different people rather than work with the same singer songwriters. I work with different guys so that I get different feels of different, cause I don't want to, I don't want to sound the exact same, you know, I mean, I know that helps because people can identify you, but I want people to go, Oh, who's this? Holy crap. That's Hollywood too. Wow. I didn't know he could do that. You know? When you're having a bad day in terms of trying to like stay creative or whether it's writing or just creating anything, is, what do you kind of do to kind of reset your mind and get ready to finish what your task was? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I, cause I, I have bad days, you know, I have, I've had bad weeks where I, all I want to do is sleep. I don't want to get out of bed. I want to hide from the world. Um, you know, and that's, and that's the thing, you know, um, everybody everybody goes through stuff and you know I know a lot of people think well yeah but you're blessed and you in it I am blessed um but I've struggled I've struggled my whole life I've been told that I wouldn't be good at this or that I mean pretty much everything I've ever done I was told I wouldn't be able to do it um and I just man I I find that a challenge you know when people say that um but to kind of reset myself, you know, I, uh, I talk to God, you know, a lot. Um, and especially if I'm really that down and that kind of stuck in, in my place, I will, I'll just come in here into my office, you know, and just be like, you know, God help me, you know, like I, I am trying everything I can and I'm struggling and I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. So, you know what, it's in your hands. And usually when I do that, like, I mean, there's been times where I've been so broke and I don't know how I'm going to pay the next bills and this and that, you know, especially like even after gladiators, I made a lot of money doing that show, but it was when everybody else was going broke, you know, it was the big crash. And so I literally was throwing money. I mean, I'm giving money to people, you know, trying to help them stay afloat because I'm like, ah, I'll get a third season. 
eh, I'm the star of the show. I'm going to be able to get a million dollars next year. And then they call and they go, well, we got canceled. And I'm like, oh, wait, what? I'm like, I just gave all my money away, you know? So, so, but I, I have those days where I'm so broken, so just lost and like, I don't know what, and I literally turn it over to God. And that afternoon, like I was, I was doing a charity golf tournament. And I had a notice come on my phone that I was down to like the last hundred dollars on my credit card. I knew that I had $3,000 in bills coming up and I'm just going, Oh, and I was like, Oh, well, God help me. And I went back to playing golf for this charity tournament. And that afternoon I get a call from a lady saying, Hey, you still have your real estate license. My son's looking for a house. And I sold him a house the very next week. And so my commission came in and I took care of all the problems that I, that was not me. You know, I didn't go out and try to, you know, like I had been hustling, trying to find work, you know, but once I gave it into God's hands, man, it, it just, so that's, that's basically kind of, kind of how I reset myself is I get back to, you know, who I am and, and to my faith and then everything usually seems to work out. Fans that obviously follow this podcast know I'm very open about my faith and uh, I have a strong conviction towards God or I get mad at God and stuff like that. We don't have to talk about that per se, but to go back to the singing, what I loved again about the Cashes and the Highwaymen, the Christoffersons is that every time they sang a song or every time they spoke, you knew they feared God and all this stuff. And I think that's what's missing in uh, music today where it's, especially country where it's like, yeah, sing about the dirt roads, sing about the beer on the front porch. Like those are right. all great times. I get that, right. but there is—I I don't know. It's—it's it's just so tough to like not nitpick what's currently going on in country because there are other musicians like yourself that are trying. There's about, like a Zach Bryan out there, yeah. uh, a bunch of guys like that. They're just really writing these really powerful songs that you know what they're talking about, but they're just not saying specifically right. on taking pills or whatever. Right. And. I just, I just wish it could go back to that because those, those memories growing up are like hearing my grandparents talk about the yeah. Patsy Clydes and all this stuff where it's like, these are real powerful musicians. Right. And I, and I think it is heading back that way because I think, uh, you know, the world has been in such a mess that I think people are trying to find, you know, like, like where did we go wrong? You know? And so I think people are starting to get back to God and they're starting to get back to, real life stuff, you know, like this, this is the greatest and worst invention ever in the history. You know, the internet is amazing, you know, but it's like this, this, this is horrible. And if I wasn't, you know, using it to build a fan base and to try to get out there to people and to try, you know, it's like, I would have a flip phone or I would just have a phone on my wall back here that I could grab and pull that long cord over and, you know, dial and, you know, it's like, um, I, th- I think about, you know, when I first started my career, I traveled, I would leave my house at the end of January, get home at the end of October. Um, and I would have to pull into a, you know, gas station, get a bunch of quarters, put it in a pay phone, check my voicemail. And then once I got my voicemails and I would write it all down, you know, and the people that called, then I would get more quarters and put them in and make those callbacks. And then I would drive and I, I wouldn't hear from anybody for six to eight hours because I was in a truck driving down the road. And it's like, I miss that. And so a lot of times when I'm driving now, I don't have the radio on, I'll turn my phone off and I just drive and I actually think, and you know what, 
that's the way I reset myself. Now that I'm talking about this, when I get really, really lost, and my wife knows this about me because I used to have two nervous breakdowns a year. Um, and so when I start to get where I'm really kind of getting lost in life is, and, and I, and I talked to God during this, but I get in my truck and I drive, like, I'll go, you know what, I, I have to run to LA or I got to go to Vegas, or I'm going to go to Texas and see my friend. And that way I'm, you know, 18 hours in a car by myself and I can clear my head and I can, you know, and it's like, usually by the time I get somewhere, I have settled all the world's problems. I've, you know, booked, you know, five or six new shows. Uh, you know, it's like, so, um, but yeah, it's, it's just that thing. And, and so people are getting back to that. I think and the music is starting to go back that way. You know, you got a bunch of great artists out there that are just starting to hit mainstream, you know, like Cody Jinks and, uh, you know, Cody Johnson's great. You know, I sent him a song and was hoping that he would record it. And I, as of right now, they're not. Um, but then you got other guys that a lot of people haven't heard of, like Ray Scott, uh, um, that is a great songwriter. He's written a lot of songs for, uh, you know, some big stars. Um, he just hasn't really, you know, uh, Bridget Tatum, you know, she's got probably one of the biggest songs ever written in the history of country music, you know, and that's She's Country by Jason Aldean. Um, Bridget is a great songwriter and she's a great singer and she's gorgeous. It's like how that girl does not, you know, have a career, you know, like Carrie Underwood, I don't know, you know, because she's phenomenal and she's an outlaw, you know, she's an outlaw writer. She writes some, she, I have uh, four songs basically on hold from her that I want to do from one of my next albums because she is such an incredible writer um we did a show together in nashville where i sang one of the songs that i'm going to put on an album called uh slow moving country and she came up afterwards and gave me a big hug and was like thank you for singing that the way it's supposed to be sung you know and yeah. and that that melted my heart you know because as a songwriter you write songs and you know then you t give them to producers or something and somebody else does them and they they they're not like what you you know what you wrote or they don't have the feeling that you wrote and and it's just it's different you know um Jeffrey Steele is a great singer songwriter that uh he he's written probably more number ones than anybody in Nashville he wrote uh what hurts the most by for by uh, oh wow uh I can't think of the name of the band right now. Uh, oh, Rascal Gary, Flats. Yeah, I was going to say Gary Laveau and Don, uh, Joe Don, but uh, Rascal Flats. And it's a great song the way that they did it, but to hear him sing it with the emotion and the power that he has, and it's like, oh my God, you know, it's just amazing. Look it up. What hurts the most, Jeffrey Steele, uh, Nashville River front and you'll see what i mean because it's gosh it's amazing the way he sings it and the, the emotion in it um so yeah i'm just i'm looking forward to seeing the more you know a lot of these new artists that are coming up and and writing some amazing stuff as we transition now into this rodeo bullfighting career you have i've never met anyone that actually actively does this i've watched a ton of it and i've had the privilege to see this performed in Spain. Um, I've always wanted to see the running of the bulls. 
But so how does someone like you with your upbringing get involved in this to the point where your mom's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> well, you know, I was raised around horses my whole life. Uh, honestly, I, <laughs> I was training, training my young life. I was uh, going to be a jockey. My uh, grandfather had racehorses and I was really small, really skinny. Um, like my freshman year of high school, I was five foot tall and like 90 pounds, you know, so I was training to be a jockey. That's what I thought I was going to do. And then uh, when I was 15, some buddies of mine in high school were riding bulls out at this practice pan and they knew that I trained horses and was around horses. So they were like, hey, you want to ride bulls? And I was like, nah, you know, and they're like, Oh, you're the perfect size and i'm like nah but you know being a rodeo clown would be kind of cool and so i went out and just started you know doing it you know to protect those guys and i was horrible at it um i i my athletic ability you know got me around the bulls i didn't get hit but i didn't like i wasn't good at slowing down and keeping the bull with me so guys were still getting hooked so for i think first couple years people hated seeing me show up to fight bulls because i just it just didn't click. And then it, after watching and watching and watching tapes and different things, it's like, it finally clicked and I got very good at it. You know, that, again, this was one of the things that I was told, you're never going to be good at this. Uh, you might as well quit. You might as well go home. And it was the first thing athletically that I was ever told I wouldn't be good at. Cause I was, you know, baseball, football, basketball, soccer, you name it. I played it. And I was always on the all-star teams. I was chosen to play on the United States Little League team in Japan against the Japanese for the Little League World Series. Like they only chose like 40, you know, U.S. kids out of the entire country. So this was something that, you know, it's like, okay, wait a second. How am I this great athlete, but not great at this? And so it kept my attention and I, and I just, you know, I wanted to get great at it and I did. And I've very, been very fortunate to have a 37 year career doing this. And I've been all over the country. It got me, it's kind of how I started transitioning into TV and film was doing stunt work, you know, with bulls and horses and stuff. And so, you know, it's just, it's, it's been such a great career for me that it's, you know, it's something that I, I will always do. It's I'm my goal right now is to get back to the national finals again in the barrel. Um, I've been to the national finals in the Wrangler bullfights in the barrel. I've been there in the Wrangler bullfights as a bullfighter. Now I want to go back in the barrel to protect the bull riders. If I do, that'll, you know, have put me at the NFR in three different positions. There's only been, you know, one other guy that's been there in more than two. And there's only been four of us that have been there in two in the history of rodeo. So it's like, I still have my goals. I still want to win Coors Man in a can, uh, clown of the year. Like I still have my goals in rodeo. So I'm going to continue to do that. I'm trying to book rodeos as the rodeo clown barrel man, and then book my band afterwards for the after party, you know, and that way I, one, I pick up a double paycheck, but two, I build that rodeo fan base, you know, with the music. What's the story behind the different face paints? I know over the years you've kind of changed it up, but you've had the specific look. Is there a, is this something where you pick day of show where you're kind of like, hey, I'm going to do yellow and blue? Like, how is that? No, no, I, I, my makeup is always the same. My makeup has been the same since, you know, day, it, it has changed just a little, like when I, because when I first, you know, started putting makeup on, I didn't, you know, I just, I basically did the yellow and then I did the blue. Right. and the red nose and then but then when i started working with like ronnie and donnie sparks 
their makeup was so crisp and clean and everything. And I was like looking at theirs and I was like, oh, they outlined theirs. So then I started doing the yellow and I would outline the yellow with black. And then I would put the blue around that and then outline the blue with the black. That way it just was a crisper, cleaner look. And, but yeah, my makeup has been the same for 37 years. Um, and it's just something that, and you know, I basically I drew my face on a piece of paper and I Xerox copied a whole bunch. And then I started drawing different shapes, you know, uh, things. And I finally came up with the shape that I liked. And then I started, you know, doing different colors. And I've, you know, just finally realized I like blue and yellow. And so that's just, that's been my face for, you know, 37 years. And it's, it's a deal where I kind of, in rodeo, it's, it's not as, you know, like, you know, don't do makeup like that other guy or that, you know, but most people try to stay away. It, it might be a variation, you know, but with the circus clowns, like they register their faces. They, they have specific looks and, you know, and I've never registered my face, but I, when I started studying clowns, you know, I studied circus clowns. And so I studied how they did their makeup. And I, you know, so like, that's the thing, like most rodeo clowns probably couldn't even tell you what their face is. You know, like if, if, if you go, what kind of makeup is you? They're going to be like, what do you mean? It's like, I'm, I'm a rodeo clown. And you know, it's like, I can tell you I'm an August clown. You know, there's, there's the hobo clown. There's the August there, you know, there's so, there's several different um, types of clown. And depending on what that clown is kind of depends on how your act is as well. You know, um, Lisa Harris, hobo clown, and was probably the greatest rodeo clown ever. Like he just, he was funny. He could fight bulls and barrel man, but I mean, his, his humor was amazing. He was a great writer. He wrote for Hee Haw, you know, like, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I was skimming through his autobiography book. And as I'm skimming through it, I'm looking at everything and I'm reading, I'm like going, holy shit, this guy is me before me, you know, like, and I went over to him, I'm like, Lisa, I didn't realize, you know, he was a drummer at Sun Studios Wow. during the time that Cash and Elvis yeah. and all those guys were there. Um, you know, he was an actor. He was in Walking Tall. He worked with Burt Reynolds. Uh, he was a stunt guy. He was a rodeo clown. Like, you know, I'm a musician. I'm, I'm, I'm going Lisa Harris was Hollywood before Hollywood was Hollywood, you know, like it, it's, it's really cool. And, and I was glad that, that Lisa and I became good friends. With someone like you that's widely recognized, not only in the sport of the rodeo and music and all the other stuff, when it is, when it comes to like a group like PETA or someone that looks at bullfighting or horse racing or whatever it is, whatever the animal sport is, did it, does that ever affect you to the point where it's like, do they understand why I'm doing this or what the sport is? Like I've always, I've talked to horse, uh, horse, uh, owners and like the stories they say of like repeat these animal activist groups that target, like, how do you deal with that? And especially in the last 30 so years, when you're, you are basically one of the faces of the sport. Right. Um, I don't, I don't deal with them. Um, you know, I, they don't understand. You're not going to make them understand. Right. There are just people in life that they want to have their opinion and they're going to shut their ears and open their mouths. That's all they're going to do. And they're going to just, you know, continue yelling at the top of their lungs, even though the things that they're saying 
they have nothing to back it up. They have nothing that they really understand. You know, like I, I hear, you know, people from PETA, you know, say, well, they're tying their bulls, their balls up. No, they're not. Well, they're doing this. No, they're not. You know, it's like they don't understand. And, and I, if I have somebody that starts talking like that, I'm like, hey, you want to come to the rodeo with me? I will show you everything about the rodeo so that you better understand the sport. And I will, you know, explain to you how strong these animals are. And, you know, like with, with bulls and horses and, you know, these people are spending, you know, and horse racing, you know, I mean, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on one animal to be a great, you know, bucking bull or a racehorse or, you know, so do you think that these people are really going to do horrible, nasty, abusive things to their hundreds of thousands of dollars into this animal, you know, that could potentially hurt them to where they can't perform, you know, no, they, you know, it's like, would you, you know, as a, as a person, would you spend that kind of money on something and then and then throw rocks at the windshield and, and, you know, hit it with a baseball bat. And it's like, no, you wouldn't, you know, it's like, especially if that car could potentially make you a million dollars next week by selling it or by, you know, modeling it or, you know, it's like, right. and that's where these people, it's like, they just, they just want to scream. They just, you know, it's like, they want to be heard. And the thing is they don't, why do they want to be heard? It's like, they don't even know what they're, it's like, they just, everybody wants a cause, you know, it's like, why don't you make your cause having a better life, be a happier person? You know, it's, I just, and so I don't deal with them. I, I've walked into rodeos and there's picket yeah. lines or whatever, you know, and I just walk right by and just laugh at them, you know, cause I'm like, whatever. I, I learned a long time ago and I, and I tell this to people like, because with my comedy, I'm very edgy with my comedy. I, I was told once that you can go up to a line in comedy, but you don't step over it. And they go, but you somehow jump over it and then you get back without getting into trouble. And I go, well, it's because they expect worse. I go, they expect so much worse from me. I go, they expect me to walk out and be Andrew Dice Clay in a family venue. I said, and when I don't go Dice Clay, they're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. You know, I go, but yeah, I do get complaints. I've had people write letters and everything, you know, but like I've had one or two or three people write a letter at a rodeo where there was 10,000 people. So what? I don't care. You know, it's like, I'm going to tell my comedy and I'm not going to change my comedy. I'm not going to stay away from politics. I'm not going to stay away from, you know, uh, you know, gay jokes or black jokes or, you know, now I, I'm, I'm very selective on how I do them. You know, like uh, I used to, I used to work with uh, Leon Coffey or yep. Dwayne Argo a lot. So what I would do is I would use some kind of racially humor that wasn't bad. But what it did was it opened the door for them to now come back on me and make me the butt of the joke. Right. You know? And so it worked great. It's like we God, we had so much fun doing it because as I would start into it, you know, the crowd would kind of go, oh, you know, because they're looking at him like, how's he going to take this? And then when he would, you know, take it in a way where he would go, wait, what? And then he would go off on me and show how stupid I was for right. the comment that I, it's like, then the crowd would, you know, applaud, you know, so it's like, you have to, you have to do it right. 
you know, but comedy is, is subjective. Comedy is just comedy. And that's the thing that, you know, it's like nowadays, you know, people are like, you know, they're just, they get so, but it's like, the joke is not about you people. It's like, I didn't sit there right and go, Hmm, I think Bob stupid is going to be at the rodeo next week in Iowa. I'm going to write a joke to piss off Bob. You know, it's like, the joke's not about you, you know, it's like the joke is just about a situation. And if you are taking it personally, then you're stupid. You know, it's like one of the rodeo clowns I know, he always says, he goes, if you get offended by what I say, just remember this, you were triggered by a clown. You know, it's like, I'm an idiot. You know, I'm out here being an idiot and you're getting mad at an idiot, you know, that's just making jokes. You know, I, I was telling somebody at the gym the other day, I go, I don't change my comedy for anybody. I do what I do. I go, I am beige Chappelle, you know, like, you know, it's like, and, and people, Hey, we've had people in rodeo jump the fence. Uh, now not out of anger. I don't think, um, Lisa Harris, he was 64, I think at the time, and he's doing his rodeo clown act with his robot and a drunk jumped over the fence, ran over, tackled the robot. And then got up and went to run and 64 year old Lisa Harris ran him down, tackled him and beat the living snot out of this guy right there in the arena in front of the crowd. And he got a standing ovation. Awesome. And it's like, and it's like, that's, I'm, you know, talking with a buddy right now about, I'm going to start probably doing some stand up comedy and that way it just will help my chops in a rodeo arena, you know, with writing new jokes and stuff. And I'm like, please, somebody come up on stage and try to hit me. I will. I will turn this comedy stage into a, the American Gladiator Arena and I will beat the living snot out of somebody, you know, because it's like, I don't play games. Like, I have fun with life. But if you try to interrupt my act and you try to physically harm me, I've never lost a fight ever in my life. Not because I'm tough, because I'm that scared of what you might do to me if I allow you to beat me up. So I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen. Part of me kind of wants that to happen, but I also don't want your act. (laughs) So you kind of mentioned some new albums and stuff coming up. So before I let you go, like if people want to pick up your music, if where is it streaming, go to your website, what projects you have coming up? Um, well, I've got a full album on iTunes that I have no control over. I don't even think I make any money on it anymore, <laughs> um, but it's good music. It's really good music. So, and, it, and I only wrote one of the songs on there. Chris Cornell wrote one of the songs on there. Jeffrey Steele wrote one. Randy Howes wrote one. Keith Anderson wrote one. Uh, I've got great writers on this, um, but it's, it's an amazing album and I love it. So please go get it um, because I think you'll enjoy it. Um, if you like good country music, I also have two on Spotify right now, um, that I wrote, um, one is ghost one is get loud. Uh, I've got another one that I'm actually waiting on artwork right now from a girl that's called wolves on the town. I uh, wanted to write a song that, you know, was kind of a party anthem about going out with the wolf and, you know, drinking and having fun. Um, and then I've got another one that I uh, had finished recording, but I've got a whole bunch of new songs that I've written. One is actually kind of about suicide. Um, and it's, it's the first song I ever wrote completely by myself, wrote the music, wrote, you know, like I sat here with a guitar and I found a, 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 you know, melody and I wrote this song and, and I just wrote another song the other day that 
you know, it usually takes me with help three, four hours to write a song or maybe a few days to write a song. And I wrote this song the other day in a, less than an hour uh, and it was really cool. So I got to get in and get those recorded, but I'll start getting more stuff on Spotify over the next year. Uh, I've got a whiskey business that I just am starting up. I'm just working on my distributorship right now. Um, I've got a meeting next week here in Arizona with Crescent Crown and then uh, Breakthrough Beverage in Nevada. Here, I'll show you. That's my, uh, that's my new whiskey. And uh, so I'm just getting that all lined out and then hopefully we'll get that out across the country soon. Love that's going to be a rock star. No, I love it. This is uh, this has been awesome, Hollywood. I appreciate your time on here, and uh, I wish you all the success. I don't want any stage jumpers. Uh, Me either. You, uh, every, all the success. Be healthy. Uh, be be safe. And uh, thank you for this. Thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you, uh, what you do for everybody. So thank you. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode. I like to break a sweat, and I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself, a feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SPEARCHOP10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SPEARCHOP10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.